wasabi wallet. Unfairly private. What's up, everyone? I'm Ben with the BTC Sessions, and this is your daily session. Hodl that Bitcoin. Today's show is a little bit different. I've got a guest on. Uh, this is actually Brian from Bitsy, and he has some expertise in, in, I guess, markets and charts and a lot of different stuff. So I figured while I had him on, why not get some clarification on the infamous BART pattern? If you're unfamiliar, the BART pattern happens relatively often in Bitcoin. That's where it has a sudden spike upwards, has some sideways action, and then spikes right back downwards, looking a lot like Bart Simpson's head, that up, squiggly, and then down. So we talk a little bit about that, liquidity in markets, and how the Bitcoin market has matured over time. Uh, we also get into a few other things, the recent scare with the supposed Satoshi coins moving, which was since debunked, but we talk a little bit about the implications of some of these early coins starting to move around and see activity. Um, and you know, we've seen it before, but we, st we just kind of do some hypotheticals. Then we also dive into uh, the growing market that is Tether. Uh, it recently flipped it recently flipped Ripple or XRP, whatever you want to call it. Anyways, XRP is Ripple. <laughs> Anyways, it recently flipped uh, XRP as the number three in market cap. And there was a, another article that came out talking about it potentially over time becoming number two and replacing Ethereum. Um, and so we talk about, is this a possibility? What are the implications of that? Is it possible that a stablecoin could ever become the number one in market cap? Personally, I possibly think so. There's infinite dollars, so, um, but would that even matter? So we talk about a, a bunch of different stuff. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoy this. And uh, as always, I wanna give a shout out to my sponsors. Uh, first up, Ledin.io. This is a company that I've been using personally for the past uh, over a year now. Um, they've also been partnered for this, with the show for quite a while. They allow you to use your Bitcoin for a variety of different services. Of course, they've got their Bitcoin backed loans, which was the first thing I ever used. I was in a pinch, I needed my hands on but I didn't want to sell my Bitcoin, so I was able to park it in a dedicated account, uh, which I could audit 24 seven. Um, and then I got dollars into my account within 24 hours. When I paid that back, I got back the exact same Bitcoin that I deposited. They've got a couple other offerings. They've got their Bitcoin and USDC savings where you can earn up to 7.5% interest annually. And they've got their B2X offering where they use the same loan mechanism to instantly buy more Bitcoin effectively doubling your Bitcoin on the spot. If you want to check them out, there's a link down below in the show notes. And if you click that link and you opt to get a loan, then they'll give you 50 bucks worth of Bitcoin for free. And secondly, we've got coin cards. I've been using these guys for well over six years now. I first used them in 2014 when I went to live on Bitcoin for a month as an experiment, which thanks to them was largely successful. Um, you can buy pretty much any gift card your little heart desires with Bitcoin on main chain or with Lightning Network. Uh, these guys are super awesome. I know Mike, the founder, he's, he's wonderful uh, and they provide an excellent service for you Bitcoiners out there that are trying to make that shift away from the banking system and trying to be able to live day to day as much on Bitcoin as possible, uh, which I think is an excellent goal. I've 
very much made that shift. Um, and I only deal with dollars when I need to now, which is very liberating to say. Uh, so anyways, be sure to check out coin cards down below. They are in the US, they're in Canada, and they're looking at expanding elsewhere. Uh, so there's a link down below for them. With that, let's dive into the show. Hello everyone, welcome to the BTC sessions. Uh, I've got a special guest today. We're gonna to be chatting about a whole bunch of different stuff, Bitcoin related and market related and news related. Um, this is Brian from Bitsy. Brian, welcome to the show, how are you? I'm good, thanks for having me on the show. Awesome, glad to have you. Uh, so uh, I, maybe before we dive in, um, do you wanna just describe a little bit about what you do. You're obviously, you know, I work with you at Bitsy, although we don't see each other a lot given that we're on opposite sides of the globe. So that makes me that much more appreciative to <laughs> have found a time to get together. Uh, but yeah, maybe just fill people in on, on who you are, what you do. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm the chief, my official title is the chief product officer at Bitsy, uh, but I wear many hats. Uh, I, you know, John and I, we uh, launched Bitsy Exchange back in 2018, and we have been doing everything uh, since then, uh, including design of the products, uh, coding up the, uh, the, the engine, uh, designing the specifications of the products, uh, everything, uh, even including um, uh, working with a lot of our, our customers from, uh, from around the world. So uh, it's been a great journey. And uh, I think we have a lot more exciting things to come in the future. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, welcome. Uh, I figured it would be, you know, people always like price talk. Uh, and I am by no means a technical analyst. Um, uh, but I do find it sometimes, um, I, I find it gives me a bit of a level head if I look at possible outcomes sometimes and, and I'm able to sit back and not panic when any of those things happen, whether it be up or down. Uh, so I do see some value and, and fun in watching the charts. Um, we saw a, a, hell of, a hell of an interesting movement in the last little bit um, in the form of the famous BART pattern. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to share my screen here, uh, so that people know what I am talking about. Uh, let's see here. We'll do this one. Okay. Let me know if you can see, uh, you got my screen. Yeah. Okay. So for those watching, uh, the BART pattern would be this very obvious straight up uh, a little bit of sideways action and then straight back down to where we came from, maybe a little bit lower. Uh, but it's called that because it looks a lot like Bart Simpson's head just shoved into the, the chart. This is like the, this is the one hour chart uh, on Bitsy here. Now, Brian, I'm wondering if you can explain a little bit uh, or maybe talk a little bit about the rumors as to why these type of chart patterns occur uh, behind the scenes. Do you have any insight into that? Yeah, I think uh, something like this uh, tends to happen when the liquidity on the market is not 
particularly uh, thick. Like something like this rarely happens um, in say legacy markets, uh, just because uh, for one is um, in legacy markets, right? Like all the trading happens on a, a same band, uh, venue. But if you look at crypto, crypto has its own idiosyncrasies in the sense that like you look at uh, crypto exchanges, liquidity is kind of segregated across like hundreds and hundreds of venues. Um, and a lot of these venues have really high leverage, like 100x or sometimes even more. So uh, what, can that, what that leads to, um, in my opinion, is that uh, you have really thin liquidity spread across a lot of venues. And um, it, it's, it's relatively easy for liquidity to kind of be relatively thin compared to um, the sizes of orders that are coming into the market. So when you have, a, I mean, there has been rumors around why the, um, the downlink of the bot pattern happened. Some uh, miner in, a uh, no miner uh, started selling off a lot of the coins. Um, so when liquidity is thin and then you have a big seller in the market, it's easy to push down the market by a thousand, uh, just like that in, in a matter of a couple of minutes. But another thing that's kind of interesting during this um, sell-off is that um, it's the price differences between the different exchanges. Like on Bitsy, we went down to like say 9,300. Mm -hmm. um, and then on Therabit, I think it went to like 9,200. But then on BitMEX, it went all the way down to 8,600. I think that's an artifact of the fact that there's liquidity is just not very thick in crypto compared mm -hmm. to um, uh, legacy markets. And then the amount of, let's say, arbitrage forces is still uh, uh, not as powerful as directional traders who can really push the market around. Because um, someone who is, let's say, uh, an arbitrage market maker, they see a six, $700 price discrepancy uh, in the futures during that like few minute time interval. It's really like free money on the table. Um, and it's something that you just don't see in legacy markets. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's quite the the gap. You said anywhere from uh, eighty six hundred was the lowest, like on Bitmax, uh, ninety three hundred on Bitsy. So that's 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 quite you know a six or seven hundred dollar gap between many exchanges. That's that's insane. I mean, I re I remember seeing uh, quite the differences in in the early days. Uh, maybe like even through 2017, but it's not something that we see as often nowadays, right? Like it's, it, am I correct in saying that the, those kinds of discrepancies have gotten less and less over time? Yeah, definitely. I think um, back in like 2013, 2014, a lot of people, like you could really just arbitrage Bitcoin. Um, between a few exchanges that were around back then, uh, like the ones who are onshore in China, the ones who are not in China. And uh, you could do that by hand, like transfer Bitcoins around on a blockchain and then just buy on one exchange and sell on the other. And profit margins were still really good back then. Uh, but you can't really do that anymore these days uh, by hand just because um, crypto market as a whole has matured a lot. So uh, like a, a lot of guys who used to be at, um, uh, high frequency market makers on the legacy markets. Uh, a lot of them have ventured into crypto. So as a whole, like crypto market has definitely gotten a lot more efficient than before. Mm -hmm. But still, so, I think like, like the, the bot pattern a uh, couple of days ago still 
kind of highlights uh, the liquidity is still relatively thin. Yeah. Now, as and and so I suppose that some of that uh, is is part of the reason for things like like liquid, um, given that transferring inter exchange with with Bitcoin, you know, the 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 block time a little bit slower, and and most exchanges require you know varying number of confirmations before it gets through. Is that kind of I suppose that's kind of the goal of liquid when you see an arbitrage opportunity is being able to capitalize on that in a quicker manner. Yeah. So something like uh, liquid or lightning network is going to help really help market makers improve their capital efficiency uh, because it enables them to potentially uh, not have to maintain float across the different exchanges, but also other things, other developments in the crypto markets, like having, um, proper prime brokerage uh, uh, lending, for example, has grown a lot in the past two years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that, these, these are the things that will really help with the liquidity um, in crypto. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so in kind of the same vein, I wanted to touch, I'm gonna switch tabs here to uh, an article from, from Cointelegraph. And it's, it's in reference to uh, Satoshi's coins. Um, this individual is, he's a researcher of the Satoshi coins, which are the coins that are assumed to have been mined by Satoshi himself due to, uh, certain unique data contained within the, uh, what's called the nonces of the mined blocks. But besides the point, there's, there's a, a set of Bitcoin that are presumed to be Satoshi's coins. Uh, there was a scare just recently where some early coins were actually moved. Not a lot. I think it was 40, 40 or 50 Bitcoin that were moved around. Um, but there was a scare because a tweet went out from Whale Alert saying that these coins from early 2009 were moved and people thought it might be Satoshi's coins and they were worried about the the implications of that having happened. We also saw um, in, in the same vein, uh, these early coins that were claimed to be owned by Craig Wright and uh, apparently the actual owner of those coins signed a message saying that, uh, well, some not so kind words about Craig, but besides the point, uh, basically <laughs> saying that uh, they were indeed the owners of those coins and not Craig. Um, but we've seen some interesting activity. The point being, we've seen interesting activity and movement and, and proof of people still having ownership and ability to move some of those early coins as of late. It does happen from time to time, but, um, it does call into question, you know, what are the implications of something like that? Like if, if an early miner starts to sell, um, what, what happens to the market other, I'm talking outside of the spectrum of just general, you know, markets being finicky and panicky around things like that. Um, what are the implications of, of an early Bitcoiner starting to sell off that type of coin? Do you have any insight into that? Yeah, I I think, uh, markets, whether or not it's Bitcoin, let's say 
Apple or Google stuff, right? It's, it's all about a confidence game. It's about supply and demand um, on the market. So if you look at, let's say, you know, like back when Facebook went IPO, um, a lot of people were watching very closely the unlock schedule, the vesting schedule for Facebook stuff. Um, they wanted to see, oh, what, when are the clips, the supply clips uh, happening? Uh, when could maybe Mark Zuckerberg or Sheryl uh, Sandberg might be selling their, their Facebook stock? Um, so people watch these kind of things closely because they see that as um, insider information. They understand the company better. And ultimately, you know, it's, it's a supply and demand balance on the market. If uh, an, an insider, an early investor in a tech company started selling um, their holdings in, in Facebook, um, it's a sign. Um, that maybe they're not bullish on a, on a, on the prospects of the company, but also uh, a lot of the times the these guys are holding huge amount of stocks. So when all of a sudden there's a huge uh, introduction of supply of stocks into the market, you kind of spook the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same thing with Bitcoin. Uh, it, potentially, you start to see oh well, it was forty or so Bitcoin um, this time it moved, but what if uh, you know, this guy decide to next time it moves 400, maybe 4,000 next time. So mm-hmm. it, it's, it ultimately spooks the confidence of the, of the market. And that's potentially it's what, what's um, uh, kind of uh, shook the market a little bit. Does mm-hmm. that mean it's bearish? Uh, hard to say. Uh, uh, it's all about supply and demand. So, you know, we start to, we are also starting to see more institutional hedge funds investing in, in Bitcoin, like Grayscale, I think I heard uh, they, they, they brought up a huge amount of supply in the past month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so if legacy, um, like fiat-based investors, they start to come into crypto, that kind of demand also dwarfs whatever supply uh, that is in the market too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it, you're correct about uh, Grayscale. I think between Grayscale and just regular buys on cash app they're gobbling up um more more coins than are being mined uh in their entirety now that the block subsidy has been cut so there's definitely from at least from existing bitcoiners and new entrants into the market there's definitely seems to be an increasing demand with a diminishing supply on the uh I guess of new, <laughs> newly minted coins, um, but yeah, that that still doesn't, I suppose, mitigate the risk of an uh, an early Bitcoiner selling. Although I guess I to play devil devil's advocate, I would say, uh, while an early Bitcoiner may have a lot of Bitcoin, they can only sell it once. So you know that what that does to the price in the meantime is a, is another story. But uh, but yeah, anyways. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to move to, to one other topic here I wanted to touch on. So this was actually, uh, the article here is Cointelegraph, but it was, it's referring to Bloomberg. Uh, Bloomberg was talking about how it's only, they believe it's only a matter of time before Tether overtakes Ethereum as the number two market cap coin. Now we saw earlier that it actually overtook Ripple. Um, I, I have no problem on my own show saying that I'm not a fan of Ripple. Uh, but besides the point, uh, uh, 
is this, do you think that this is a possibility given what we've seen from Tether so far? It seems to be Tether continues to grow as more people enter the market and, and are actively trading. Um, and so do you see Tether getting to that point where it perhaps in market cap eclipses Ethereum? And if so, is it possible that at some point a stable coin would have a larger market cap than Bitcoin? I mean, we know that we know that dollars, <laughs> I mean, dollars are essentially infinite. And when your measurement is the dollar, I suppose anything's possible. What, but what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, in the past year or two, the AUM on the tether has grown a lot. I think now it's at $9 billion, if I remember correctly. Um, honestly, I mean, I, I think it's, it's going to continue growing. Um, mm -hmm. Not just because people are using Tether as an uh, intermediate instrument um, when they're trading Bitcoin uh, or trading other crypto, but uh, we, we actually see Tether as having uh, practical use cases outside of the crypto world too. Like it's, it's actually a very efficient way to transfer money around. Um, so there's a lot of demand from Tether uh, from China uh, in onshore uh, as an effective way to move money around. Um, and some of these uh, investors are using Tether because they circumvent some of the uh, capital controls in China. Mm -hmm. um, so Tether demand is very strong from the China side. Uh, but other than that, even just using Tether as a form of payment is also uh, pretty effective too. Um, compared to the to old days where you have to use um, PayPal, um, I guess there are more options these days. Uh, but uh, you know, like uh, Tether is still a very effective, uh, low cost and fast uh, way of moving money around on the blockchain. Mm -hmm. Do you do you ever worry about? Um, uh, anything in terms of, of, of backing given that. So, I mean, it's, it's always interesting to me in that, uh, I mean, fiat currency itself is already, you know, it's, it, there, there's not so much third party risk anymore because fiat currency is just infinitely printed anyways. Um, but, um, in terms of dollars backing Tether, do you think there's any, um, is there any risk there in terms of one, if, a, if, if any stable coin was not fully backed and say all of a sudden the US decided to create its own digital version of the dollar that could be sent around, could the uh, liquidity drying up within a stable coin, if it, if it indeed ever were to be fractional reserve, be a problem? Like, do, do you see any risk there? Uh, for sure. I think regulatory risk is always there. But like, if let's say a country decides to create their own digital version of uh, their own currency, like, like China, for example, um, I think there's still a bit of difference between what Tether can do versus the national uh, version of the digital currency, right? Uh, you know, if fundamentally you look at China, a lot of things are digitalized. Um, like you can use WeChat, you can use Alipay to pay for everything, uh, from taxi or like buying a drink at in the subway station to paying utility bills. But all of that um, 
from a utility standpoint, I guess it's kind of the same as Tether. You can pay in things. But the, um, the fact that Tether, um, it's still, uh, it provides a lot of the um, privacy uh, that people uh, using Tether are looking for. It's something that a national digital currency cannot provide. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's that's fair. I'll accept that. <laughs> um, now, I guess I, I'll I'll round it. I'm just gonna stop sharing the screen here, but uh, I'll I'll round it out with your your general thoughts of kind of where we're sitting um, post crazy bear market of 2018 in slightly into 2019. Um, how have how has infrastructure held up? How has, from, from your seat, um, looking at the industry as a whole, what's being built? Um, are you, are you feeling good about kind of where we're at right now and the trajectory of everything? Yeah, I think, um, let me think about this. <laughs> I guess you could you could attack it two different ways. Obviously, there's there's the market standpoint, but you could also look at um, uh, technologically uh, and infrastructure based as far as like wallets and proper security and tools for individuals to use to properly you know store and deal with Bitcoin. Um, how how are you feeling about where we are? even just in the past few years and how we've progressed? Yeah, I think markets, uh, the crypto market has progressed a lot. Like the um, lending market has grown tremendously uh, to multiple billions of dollars in, in lending in, in, in crypto, especially on the Bitcoin side these days. Um, and you start to see a lot of companies are turning into the uh, prime brokerage business, sort of like the the Goldman and the JP Morgan of, of the crypto world. Um, so these are all signs that market as a whole is, is maturing and sort of catching up with where the legacy markets are. And so I wouldn't be surprised if there's going to be more regulations um, that's going to put some, uh, perhaps a uh, some friction on innovation that can happen in the crypto space because you can't continue to grow uh, indefinitely without any kind of regulation coming in, especially if the market has become such a huge market these days. Um, uh, yeah, I, 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 I would, I would <laughs> I, you know, no, I definitely agree with the regulatory. I mean, we just saw, so I'm in Canada here and we just saw as of June 1st, um, Canada, like every every cryptocurrency related company within Canada or dealing with Canada is now regulated as a money service business um, and has to has to be so. Um, and so, but at the same time, regulation is a form of acceptance in that you're not banning Bitcoin. Um, so, I mean, it, it can be seen as both a positive as and a negative, as you're saying, it could stifle some innovation if you can't get around that i given the nature of bitcoiners i'm inclined to believe that areas where innovation is stifled people will sometimes go elsewhere if they feel that they need to in order to innovate um 
but I guess that's part of the competitive nature of the regulatory environments around the world with a truly global digital currency. So I don't know, would you agree or do you have some pushback on that? Yeah, I think so. Um, but also I want to point out on the, on the infrastructure side, I think uh, there's been also quite a bit of innovation and development on the infrastructure side. Like you look at um, liquid network, for example, um, there are more and more uh, entities that are onboarded onto the, onto the liquid network. And you kind of need that network effect for something like, let's say, uh, you know, uh, liquid Bitcoin or liquid tether um, to be uh, useful to, uh, let's say, the market makers or the traders who are using it because you want a lot of venues that support liquid. And I think uh, we're kind of getting to the tipping point where um, you know, a, a lot of these technologies are becoming uh, uh, widely accepted uh, and the utility is going to continue to increase. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, I think I'll, I will wrap it there. Um, first of all, I want to thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much, Brian. Uh, and can you let uh, people know, like, I, I don't know, do you want, do you want some more Twitter followers? Do you want people to find you on Twitter? Sure. Uh, you can follow me on, uh, infinite square well <laughs> awesome well i will definitely link it down below um again thank you guys for watching and uh and be sure to check out all the links down below um and uh with that i will wrap it up brian really good to see you thanks a lot for having me thank you guys so much for watching as always do remember to hit like subscribe and share if you're here on youtube also check out the other platforms I'm on because I can't always trust YouTube. I'm on Facebook Live, I stream live to Twitter, I'm on DLive and Twitch. Uh, I'm also audio only podcast form, uh, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you look on a podcast platform, you'll probably find me there. Um, outside of that, if you wanna help the show in another way, you can hit the sponsors I mentioned down below, Leaden and Coin Cards. Uh, also, if you're not already using a hardware wallet, be sure to get yourself on one because I mean, you don't wanna be leaving your Bitcoin unsecured on a hot wallet, especially if it's your long-term holdings. Uh, if you wanna help with the show, you can always grab a Ledger, a Ledger Nano X or S, I have both, and there's a link down below for that. And if you really loved what you saw, you can always drop me a Lightning Network tip at my tippin.me page, that is tippin.me slash at BTC sessions. With that, I'm out. Have yourselves a wonderful evening, a wonderful rest of the day, and I will see you next time for your daily session.